Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Zarin. Hey, what's up, Elizabeth Dunn? You know what's ridiculous? Oh, I've been waiting to tell you this. I was looking up some retro board games, don't ask, and mm-hmm. I had no idea how wild old games were. Like, my sister and I were talking about it, and then she was telling me once she found so I looked up some. Okay, these are the favorites that I found. I just mm-hmm. wanted to tell you about them, right? The board game called Capital Punishment. No. no. Oh, yeah. Okay, now, it's worse than you think. The object of the game is to get all of your criminals to be scheduled for the electric chair, get them parked on death row, or at least be given a life imprisonment sentence. And that's it. That's the game. That's how you win. Now, the other thing is you do is you take your opponent and you basically saddle them with criminals who are able to get through to the path of justice. So if they can get their criminals paroled and presumably back on the street criming again, they lose. So, so innocence is losing. <laughs> is losing. At least it's not like a cranium style. You have to participate game. Where... Yeah, no, it's not one of those. Uh, you like have to actually homemade... shock the person to death. No. <laughs> the other one that I liked was Bigfoot, the, the uh-huh. board game Bigfoot. Uh-huh. It was a, a game that allowed you as the person, you're just like, kind of like, I don't know, like Monopoly or Life where you're going around a board on these spaces, right? And uh, you have this plastic Bigfoot and there are 10 discs and you want to advance your Bigfoot around the board, Right. If you land on an opponent's space and they have a disc there and they flip it over and it's a foot, you lose. Hmm. I do not get it. I think the Bigfoot thing was just kind of thrown in on top, like 70s style. I like, think oh. that the game just doesn't exist <laughs> no, it because does. it's Bigfoot. Oh, I see what you did there. Thank no, you. that's the game. See that picture? I see the picture. That's the game. I that's see the creepy. Picture. Wait, let me see it again. It's like Ooh. Harry and the Henderson's yeah, like abducting totally some kids. Yeah, it's totally Harry and the Henderson's. Like, play a game with me, kids. <laughs> 
<laughs> Lastly, though, this yes. is the one I wanted to tell you most about. My favorite of all three that I found was the Crazy Cat Lady board game. It was oh. literally called Crazy Wait, Cat Wait, isn't that Lady. like an Archie McPhee game? Oh, uh, yeah. You know it? Yeah. I only know it's Archie McPhee from the, the front cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you compete to rescue cats. Mm-hmm. You move around the board. And like once again, you land on spaces that are marked things like rescue grumpy old cat from pound, or as I like to call it, the zoo. And eventually <laughs> you win the game by saving so many cats that your house is now overrun by cats and you go crazy from all the cat poop everywhere. I think. I think that's how you win. I, I don't know. Anyway, have, ta-da! Crazy cat lady. That's you. You win. I have a confession to make. You've played the game. No, someone gave it to me. <laughs> I, I have never it. opened it. I was it. looking it up. I was like, I bet Elizabeth would love this game. Oh, thanks. And I'm not the only one. Thanks, dude. Yeah, no. Someone was like, they saw it and thought, Elizabeth, I don't own a freaking cat. No, not right now, right? <laughs> I own a freaking cat. It's all, hey. No, I don't own a cat. And they, I mean, I did at the time. You have in the past, right? I you, have. You, seem, you have cat owner energy. I'm a crazy dog lady, though. But you they, can be both, right? They don't make those I mean, don't limit games. yourself. No, I'm never going to. So, yeah, that's super ridiculous. <laughs> I've been waiting to tell you. You know what else is ridiculous? You got one for me? I do. Rich people. Oh, hell yeah. And then more specifically, rich people thinking they're clever. Oh, no. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. you damn right. Remember, Zarin, when I told you about that gold turlet that got stolen? <laughs> yes, the gold turlet. Yes, I do remember that. The toilet, the commode. <laughs> what are you, from Baltimore? Yeah. The turlet. <laughs> the turlet. Um, by the end of the story, I was... Beyond irritated oh, at yeah. the wealthy folks. You're getting heated. Yeah, I was. Um, there's so much power tied up in money. So when like a wealthy person wants to do some sort of prank, mm-hmm. it's always larger than life. It doesn't fly under the radar. Oh, yeah. You know, um, they can outsize it. And why, like, sometimes it's not always at the expense of the rest of us, right? But there's this just like disregard for ordinary people that rubs me the wrong way. In, mm, it's in kind those of like kind that of treatment of the little people. Yeah. Like, oh, you little people enjoy well, what I'm doing. Because, like, the, I do it maybe the, the prank bleeds over into like actual crime. La di da. What does it matter <laughs> to me? It's a lark. Everyone just chill out. You know, we don't, most people, we don't get to. We don't get to have that outlook on it, mm-hmm. you know. Not and there, there are ramifications when we do stuff. Yes, the rest of us who do not yeah. have like big like white shoe law firms uh, yeah. to call right. upon. So the story I have for you today is about fraud. All right. It's a hoax. Okay. It's done as sort of a prank. I, I I originally thought to make fun of excessive war spending, but it's not. Oh, so it's like a political prank, no, like direct it's activism. It's not. It's not. Was like, it was it intended to be direct activism? No. <laughs> no. no. Not giving them this one at I all. I have no idea. All right. It wasted time and effort. Okay. Made the perpetrators look like a holes in my point all of right. view. If I'm going to use strong language, I, here. I'm over here just blushing. But go on. So I want you to get ready to be I didn't irritated. I know you wanted to work blue today. I do. Hey, zing. Um, I want you to be irritated by rich people again. Oh, today. I can do that. Right. This is the dreadnought hoax. Ooh. Let me give you some background. So the HMS dreadnought, 
was a ship, right? The big ass ship? Yeah, completed in 1906. So the New York Times called it, quote, a fast, heavily armed behemoth that changed naval warfare. Mm -hmm. Its awesome power was the focus of attention abroad, just as its shocking expense was a point of debate at home. Now, I mean, at the time, Things were going swimmingly in the UK, in England. Uh, I just well, like the term going swimmingly. I just picture like people actually swimming. Well, I mean, no, I mean like economy-wise. Yeah, I know. I got you, know? you. They're booming. Yeah, things are going well for them. So they, and you know, maybe good planning. They're doing some military spending. They're basically at this point cruising time. off of the Victoriana era, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, big idea of like still the empire. So they're like, we need ships mm-hmm. to control the sea. Right. right. Okay. Rule Britannia. Yeah. Uh, the dreadnought was called the most powerful complex and a, and aggressive machine in the world. Huh. Yeah. Uh, the ship was a, quote, potent and expensive symbol of state power and authoritarianism. <laughs> that I'm sounds sorry. fantastic. Yeah, it sounds impressive. So there's this historian, Peter Stansky. I'm going to be doing so many quotes today. I'm, oh. I'm pulling his errand. Yeah, I like it. The dreadnought was not only a particular ship, but also the first of a new class of powerful battleship, the very symbol of the British Navy's assertion of its continuing superiority over the German Navy and its determination to maintain its position as the most powerful Navy in the world. Hmm. So the Royal Navy, full of fun times. Oh, from what I've heard. Yeah. Yes. If it's yeah. not just the buggery, it's the scurvy. It's a barrel of laughs. Um the ships in the fleet, they would play pranks on each other. Okay. You know, while having, yes, trying naval. to avoid scurvy. Um, <laughs> and so at around 1910, the HMS Hawk and the HMS Dreadnought were in a hoaxing feud. Okay. So they're pranking it up. Enter English Irishman Horace DeVere Cole. Is it, now, English Irishman, does this mean he's like North Irish? He's like a, he's not from the, the counties. The counties. Okay. He's, I mean, what, he's that, like a landowner. Yeah. yeah. Um, a man of privilege who's most likely probably beholden to the crown. Well, I mean, his, okay, so his maternal great grandfather is the Irish poet Sir Aubrey de Vere. Okay. But you're not, you know, that's an English title, sir. Sure. So you know where I'm going with that. Mm-hmm. Um, his paternal grandfather was William Henry Cole, and he was a British businessman who made a fortune in the quinine market. Oh. and Fighting just, malaria. And, you know, uh, tonic. And gin. Gin yeah, and gin tonics. Tonics. <laughs> so, yeah, Of course, the other one, the, probably the more prolific one for them. <laughs> so, Horace's dad died of cholera in India, in India, India. when Horace yeah. was a little boy. Foreign service. And Horace almost died of diphtheria when he was 10. Ooh. And Her, surgeries. bad. Yeah. Surgeries were required to save his life, but that meant that he couldn't really hear very well. Okay. Uh, out of like one ear. Um, he couldn't join the army because of that. So instead, he enlisted in a volunteer cavalry and he went to South Africa during the Boer War. Mm. Um, he was shot in the back <laughs> by Boer snipers, narrowly avoiding death. So he was running from them, I'm assuming. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay, so I guess it's better being shot in the back by your own men. Yeah, well, uh, he, <laughs> he returns to the UK, enrolls in Cambridge. Okay. And he was, like, known for his pranking, his hoaxing. And then he oftentimes did this with his best friend, Adrian Stephen. Okay. Uh, So Horace and Adrian, they met at Cambridge when they were undergrads. One time they dressed up as the Sultan of Zanzibar's uncle. And then Adrian, well, that was what Horace dressed up as. Adrian dressed up as the Grand Vizier, uh, (laughs) part of the entourage. Okay. And so the Sultan at the time, the Sultan of Zanzibar, was touring England and was going to be at Cambridge at the same time. So he's just like, no, I'm the Sultan. 
And he and Adrian, Horace and Adrian, they get escorted around Cambridge. They get a formal reception. What? Yeah. They and were then, able to con people because people knew that they, this guy was coming, the Sultan of mm-hmm. Zanzibar would be here. And then they said, oh, I've got a funny hat and some robes. Totally. People were like, oh, you've got They're, a funny oh, hat and them. some robes. Must there be. you are. That's hilarious. Yeah. And so... Like, Horace then later tells the Daily Mail about what he did. (laughs) And there's all this publicity around this, what they're calling a joke. Uh And he gets a book deal off of it. He's like an offer for a book deal. Like, please tell us more. He's never, he's never punished. 180 pages at least. (laughs) He's never, I gave it 30 seconds. He, (laughs) he's never punished for this. But it builds this reputation that he has of like chief prankster. Oh yeah. Uh What a clown. So someone on the HMS Hawk reaches out to him like beep, boop, 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 beep. <laughs> we need an expert they're like captain pranker <laughs> hi this is the hms hawk um i need you to help us in our prank war oh my god and it's against the hms dreadnought he's like guess what i'm on it i so love it i'm there he like the the back the background a team music starts playing he's gonna assemble his group <laughs> the drums number one adrian stephen his bestie okay yeah he's like come on dude Adrian's, get back in the game adrian. adrian's sister virginia uh-huh. So she's like, she's an unpublished author at the time. You'll know her later as Virginia Woolf. Oh, snap. <laughs> yes, that that Virginia Woolf. Okay, so a clever lass. A clever one. Uh, by the way, Adrian and Virginia's cousin was this guy named Willie Fisher. Okay. And he was an officer on the Dreadnought. Okay. Um, so maybe that kind of is why they wanted to do this. Either way. Now, is this like early Bloomsbury group? Yes, it is. Ah. Um, artist Duncan Grant. Okay. Who was a paramour of Adrian's. Okay. And then two friends of theirs, Guy Ridley and Anthony Buxton. Huh. Okay. And so I think it was uh, Duncan Grant is the one who's in the Bloomsbury He's, group. Okay. So this is the very beginning yeah. of it. Okay. Interesting. So you've got this group of people. They're wealthy, Bunch worldly, of rich kids, educated. Okay. Yeah. And apparently they love pranking. And they've so, got the world at their feet, and they could do whatever they want, and they choose to prank each other. Well, and yeah, so they're like, okay, what kind of prank do we do? We want to prank the Dreadnought. Yeah, we're pranking a whole ship. What We could do anything. <laughs> it's so cool. Okay. Oh, I know. Another fake African or African-adjacent royal visit. Oh, no. There's not a lot in the repertoire <laughs> with these clowns. So I, I'm really worried where this is going. This is like... Screaming Great British Bake Off Mexican Week. Yes, totally. It's like, I know I'm going to be pushing buttons of some of our English listeners, but I'm not pushing your buttons. None of the rich, like, you know, aristocracy or like highfalutin types Mm -hmm. are listening to us. Yes, as my family calls it, the pink toes. (laughs) Right, they got better stuff to do. Uh, They don't don't know what we do down here, the cool thing. (laughs) The little people. So, you know, whatever. But if you, my feeling, if you can't take it, don't dish it. And so Mexican Week has laid it out. Like, guess what? <laughs> it's on. You're the target now. It sucks to be a caricature, doesn't it, England? Um, so anyway, <laughs> so this group, they decide to pose as an Abyssinian nobleman named Ross al-Malakan. So Makalen. So Ross al-Makalen. So they're like Ethiopians. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Abyssinia, empire located in what is now Ethiopia mm-hmm. and Eritrea. It, that empire lasted from 1270 mm-hmm. into, what, 74? Yeah, it's one of the great African empires. Yeah, Haile Selassie gets deposed by a Soviet-backed military cool. junta. Yep. And that they ruled until 91. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so they're saying they're these Abyssinians. Um, like an uncle, maybe a cousin of the emperor. Okay. And, and then his whole entourage. So Horus 
says that, like, they're Abyssinian royals. They're in England. They're visiting Eton. Oh, that's where Horace went. Mm -hmm. So this is basically like the equivalent of, for now, like, oh, I'm a Saudi prince. Like, everybody knows this means you're wealthy. Exactly. You've got privilege. Okay. Exactly. And they say, oh, we're coming to look at Eton. It's like, we may send our kids there. I got you. So Horace gets in touch with a costumer named Willie Clarkson. Mm -hmm. And he talks to him a bunch of times. They have all these meetings. Like, let's talk wardrobe. (laughs) And they go and they drink tea. How do you feel about sequins? (laughs) Right. Bring me some swatches. Uh, Clarkson had done costumes for all these, like, major theater productions in Paris and in New York. Um, In one of these books, it says he, quote, provided wigs to all the leading ladies of the Edwardian age, from (laughs) Marie Lloyd to Sarah Bernhardt. So he's like wig master. I do know who Sarah Bernhardt is. That's a theater lady. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So (laughs) in the 1880s, he also, quote, assisted Scotland Yard in their attempts to catch Jack the Ripper by disguising officers as prostitutes. Oh, that's so they just he he's dressing them up as yeah. tarts. He's like, all right, look, here's what we need. We need some cops dressed as sex workers. Uh-huh. I happen to be really good at that. I've got all the best makeup. I happen to have My some lace. Wig game. Whew. Yeah, don't ask me about the questions yeah. though, of how I got this stuff. Just know <laughs> I got it. So We're crew. catching this dude. So Horace and his whole group, they meet at Adrian and Virginia's house on early in the morning of Monday, February 7th, 1910. Okay. And Clarkson and brings some assistants. They show up. Um, he kind of had figured out what they were up to by this point, mm-hmm. and but it keeps his mouth shut. He's like, you know what? I can do it. I can keep a secret. So Anthony Buxton, he dresses up as a nobleman, like the the one who's got leading this whole crew, Ross L. Makalen. Oh, like, yeah. Like, I like the Ross L because it's like the Ross Tafari. You can actually hear yeah, it. Yeah, you can hear it. So he's going to be this nobleman, Ross L. Ross L. And then Makalen. And that, which kind of sounds like McAllen, but yeah. we're going to let that go. Okay. Virginia, Duncan, and Ridley, they dress up as princes in full blackface and oh. robes. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're calling themselves Ross Al Singanya, uh-huh. Ross El Mendax, uh-huh. and Ross Mikel Gollin. Oh, wow. Ross El Problematico. Uh, you so, betcha. Wait a minute. So they do blackface, which uh, I'm assuming they only did the paint. They didn't, like, do anything to just like, change their look, like, you know... No, no. See, uh-huh. there's a book called The Sultan of Zanzibar, The Bizarre World, and Spectacular Hoaxes of Horace de Vere Cole. Oh, God. And uh, by a man named Martin Downer. <laughs> Mo Marty right? Downer. Uh, details the entire thing. All right. It's a, it's a slog. Um, he talks about their makeup mm-hmm. and the names of the colors and such that they use are so offensive that I will not repeat them. Oh, here. is it like N-word black is the name of Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. And wow. so they just, they're painting, they're painting the faces. It's, it, yeah. I, I've always loved the idea as a black person. I find it really amusing that people think, oh, you know what? I can do blackness. I'll just paint my skin. And I'm like, uh-huh. For, for, for so many reasons, I will say you're wrong, but <laughs> I just like that you think that's all that there is. And like anybody else is going to see that and go, that's where that, the blackness there is. There it is. It's not all the historical oppression or anything. No, 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 no. it's just right just there. Skin, just okay. skin. I love that. Yeah, I love that for them. Oh, so anyway. Man, these people. <laughs> so they're worried that the makeup's going to run. Oh, God. And so Clarkson, the costumer, he says, don't eat or drink anything <laughs> while you're there. But they had forgotten to eat breakfast. So in all the accounts that I was reading, they're like, oh, we were so hungry the whole time. I have I at no point did I feel sorry for them <laughs> being hungry. But okay. Okay. So they're, they're gonna dress up as uh, Abyssinian <laughs> royalty and they're uh-huh. gonna go hoax a ship. 
what the Abyssinian royalty has to do with hoaxing the ship. Like, what is it? Well, we fooled you by letting these ab- fake Abyssinians on? Like, we got over on you that we're not really black? I don't like, know. Okay. I'm I don't, who's try- to say? I'm trying to catch who's up here. Who's to say? So Adrian, is he? his job is to play the official translator. And then Horace plays someone named Chimondele from the Foreign Office. Okay. Now, is he like an Indian? Well, remember Horace's maternal great grandfather, yeah. the Irish the poet, Sir Aubrey de Vere. Mm-hmm. Chimondele was the name of the family who replaced the de Veres as the Lord Great Chamberlain in England. Uh, and so that was the title that the de Veres believed they still laid claim to. So it's like a rival family. Oh, he uses their name. He's really sticking it to the man, old boy. <laughs> wow. Just so get him, guys. Horace and Adrian, they're not in blackface okay. because they're playing white folks. Um, they're the translators. Yeah. Adrian did wear a fake beard and a mustache. And then what's referred to in the book as a little sunburn powder. Sunburn powder. I don't know what that means. Is that like like a rust-colored kind of ruddy, ruddy thing? I, I've never even heard who of knows? So Okay. But because of that, they could eat whatever they wanted. <laughs> Naturally. You know? So they took a couple portraits for posterity's sake. What? Yeah. Okay. And then after the costume and the blackface are done, they go to Paddington Station. So Where they get all the dolled hoax up. in all of this? <laughs> Good just question. Doing dress up. So Horace, he requests a special VIP rail coach take them to Weymouth where the fleet is docked. Okay. About an hour after they leave the station, they have this friend who's named Tudor Castle. T-U-D-O-R, Castle. Like, okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. He sends a Be four... like having a friend named Glass Skyscraper. Basically, okay. or White House. Yeah. Uh, he sends a forged telegram to the under, from the Undersecretary of State, Charles Hardinge, to the Commander-in-Chief of the Home Fleet, Admiral May, saying that Prince Macklin will arrive around 4.20 to meet them on arrival, p.m., and meet him on arrival. Okay. Meet them there at 4.20, bro. 4.20, bro. So there's this tight timeline. The Admiral doesn't send a telegram back for confirmation because he's like, oh, snap. Like, okay, we're I doing gotta this. I got to get on it. Yeah, we got to, you know. Yeah. So on the train the ride, Horace and Adrian, they're like, they're trying to learn Swahili on the train ride. And they oh. get, say, I have this book. Oh, God. Adrian says, Swahili is, I believe, spoken in some parts of East Africa, whether it's spoken in Abyssinia or not. I don't know. It's not. But oh, we thought on. it might be as well for me to know a few phrases. And to that end, we had bought a grammar from the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel. Do you know what language is not spoken in Ethiopia, Eritrea, or the former Abyssinia? Swahili. Swahili. Ah-ha! It's Bantu. Yeah. So, nice try. Um, <laughs> it's like you're like, I got to teach myself some Greek phrases because I'm going to France. Or I'm going to North America, so I should probably learn some Spanish, and you land in Canada. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I need to take a break. Uh-huh. These people are irritating me. Um when we get back, <laughs> yes. I'm going to tell you about all these softies and blackface flouncing around on a warship. I just want to know what they're, yeah, they're going to do on this ship. Yeah. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance 
and preparation. You don't want to worry, you just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Zaren. When we left off, Horace and his gang of pranksters... They're on their way to pull off an epic prank on board of a Navy ship. Mm -hmm. They got on the train. They're making their way all in what they think is Abyssinian garb. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Zarin, I want you to close your eyes. No. (laughs) No. I'm going to leave my eyes open for this one. All right. Well, then open your eyes and picture it. I will close my eyes. It's February 7th, 1910. Uh, You're a traveling doctor. Oh, hey. You're on your way from your clinic in Dorchester, headed to see some patients in Weymouth on the southern coast of England. Uh, And a train pulls into Dorchester. You see through the windows a group of people dressed in weird costumes and face paint. hmm, Well, let's be specific, black face. Black face, what, what? It's, you know, some of them, it's pretty obvious that it's face paint. I think all of them. All of them, okay. I'm a doctor. (laughs) 
right. <laughs> so you get in the carriage and you see that they're wearing these like flowing silk robes and then caftans over mm-hmm. slacks. Oh, God. They have on turbans, uh-huh. you know. Um, they have really suspicious facial hair. Mm-hmm. Suspicious in that it looks fake as hell. Uh-huh. Uh, so you take a seat at the under, other end of the carriage. You're like, just, you know what? I just want to think about trains. <laughs> I just love trains. Have we talked about trains? I, I've been here and I just want to be with the trains. Zarin, I want to talk to you about trains, but instead I want to keep telling you this story. <laughs> so the group, they're whispering and giggling to themselves. And you think, oh, these are just some like well-to-do Oxbridge types out on like a theater trip of some mm-hmm. sort. Is that like new avant-garde Dadaism performance stuff that I've been reading about? This is what the kids are doing? Yeah. Train pulls up at its terminus, Weymouth Station. You get out of the train before the troop of goofballs. You see a red carpet and a naval officer in full dress uniform. Hmm. And they're like, oh, hey, hey, hey. Is there someone famous on this train? Is it, I don't know, H.G. Wells, E.M. <laughs> Forster, some other person that goes by two initials? Uh, you're shocked. J.G. Ballard? <laughs> J.G. Wentworth? Yeah. Uh, you're shocked when you see this. G.K. Chesterton? Who's going on? <laughs> Sorry, please, go on. M.C. Wren? M.C. Light? <laughs> Uh, the group gets off the train, and that's who the the officer's waiting for. Leads uh, them down a red carpet. You are shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Oh, look at me over here. Shocked. Yeah. So the group gets taken to the dock, where Admiral May and the rest of the ship staff are all waiting on the dreadnought, all in full dress regalia. Okay. No one is suspicious of the face paint and the costumes, apparently. Really? I just can't. I cannot get my head around this. <laughs> these are adults? These are, these are grown folks. <laughs> okay, okay. Go on. So the Royal Marines Band starts to play to mm-hmm. greet them, and they play the national anthem of Zanzibar. Not a- Abyssinian. No, and they apologize. They're like, you know what? We don't have the Abyssinian one in our book. We only know this one. It's the last one we played. You know, any port in a storm. Yeah, it's African. Hey, close (laughs) enough. So Horace then introduces everyone. He, like, misspells his own name. He gets the names wrong. He introduces Adrian as Herr Kaufmann, a German translator. And they're both kind of, like, surprised. So now he's got to do a German accent on the fly? Yeah, and then, and the thing is, it's like Germans aren't really welcome on warships at 1910 in England. So Adrian was like later ex- like explaining, uh, I had picked an English name that sounded kind of like Coffin, but I guess he didn't hear me and he just went with Herr Kaufman. So uh, they also, he like, Horace switches up the names of the princes, princes. He calls Buxton, who was playing the character for whom the visit had been arranged. Mm-hmm. He's like the main man. Yeah, Ross L. McAllen. He calls him Ross L. Mendax. What? And then... Okay. Don't you feel like Horace is one of those reckless people who just wants to get caught? Yes, I yeah. 100%. And it's like that. either because he knows because of who his family is and his station in life that nothing's going to happen to him. Or then there's also like a little bit of a high of like, you know what? I can get out of this. Like I can weasel I think, out of this. I think it actually goes both ways. I think he, exactly what you say, he has the high of knowing he can get out of it. But also he kind of likes being caught and shamed because he has never really had that. So and it's he's, like, And he's a naughty boy. He craves it. Yes. He's like, <laughs> tell me I'm a naughty boy. Okay, Spank it gets me. so much worse. Okay. So... Adrian gets worried, right? Because don't forget, Cousin Willie's on the boat. Oh, not old Cousin Willie. And there's also, he recognizes a guy who's part of his Sunday walking club. And we all have Sunday walking clubs. Yeah, I got a Monday, Tuesday club too. He sees Willie. He sees Sunday walker man. (laughs) And uh, 
he doesn't know Sunday Walker Man is a captain on this ship until that morning. <sighs> that morning, he's standing there. He's like, they're going to recognize me. They don't. Because they don't recognize the him. The paint is so They effective. see what they want to see. Uh-huh. And like Virginia, she really loves Cousin Willie, but Adrian and the Stephen family kind of looked down on Willie because he was very conformist and came from like a middle class part of the family. Okay. So, so they looked down they, on Maybe him. they're just, they're kind of like getting a kick out of rubbing it in his face. Yeah. So the officers, they get invited to a party and like have a drink. Adrian says, no, we don't consume alcohol. Partly because they they are all in these, they can't drink anything. They'll have their face start running. And so the officers are like, well, can we get you food, tea? And then Virginia, (laughs) Virginia, she said that no, uh, on behalf of this group, no, we must decline because we have to have our food prepared in a special way. Now, is Virginia Wolf in blackface? Yeah. Uh I think so. Right. Yeah. I was just assuming because you said the only people who weren't were the two yeah. people who are the white dudes yeah. translators. So everyone oh, yeah. else I'm picturing in blackface. Yep. So there blackface Virginia Woolf's sitting there going, no, no, I can't. Well, and I'm not sure how she expresses. She says that later she did that, but uh-huh. like here, you'll you'll find out. Okay, okay. So then they said, oh, you know, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't Virginia who declined. It was Adrian who said, no, we can't eat because it has to be prepared a special way. Ah, okay. But yeah, Virginia's it's in blackface. Be, yeah, like essentially halal, but they're not right, saying that. But they don't know the word for it. So. um he said, at sunset, we have to pray towards Mecca, but he forgets that they're all wearing crucifixes because they're pretending to be Coptic Christians. Yes, exactly. Ethiopians Exa- are not. Exactly. <sighs> but, you know, hey, it's just a, Whatever. It, somewhere over there. Um, so then to accommodate the prayer, Admiral May, quote, officially delayed sunset. What? Meaning that the buglers across all the boats in the fleet, they stood waiting for the dreadnought to give the sign uh-huh. for sunset. And he had to coordinate whether it was really sunset. What was the sun doing? You know what? <laughs> I don't sun? know. The whole thing is just like... I just love this British military. Like, we ignore the reality. We're <laughs> exactly, waiting for the whistle. Exactly. So Horace, though, he's like, you know what? I'll have some of that tea. <laughs> yes, And Horace. then Adrian and the princes, they go on a tour. They get shown around the ship for 40 minutes. They're they're marched all over the ship. Look Hell at this. of a hoax you got going, boys. Yeah, Adrian, he needs to disguise his voice. So he spoke in, quote, a most unnatural deep bass and an accent that was meant to be German. And then he forgot <laughs> all the Swahili that he learned over. He couldn't remember what to, like, translate. So to compensate when he's translating, when he's speaking to the, the, the group, mm-hmm. he's using, like, Latin and Greek that he remembered from studying Homer. Oh, God. And so this is British Navy. A bunch of them speak Latin and Greek, too, I bet. So they're catching some of this. Well, he's also throwing in nonsense words. So it's just a a mishmash. Uh Here's what Adrian Stephen said about it later. Quote, I don't find it easy to speak fluent gibberish impromptu. I must somehow produce something that would not be too jerky, too implausible. I had to take care that neither the Latin nor the Greek should be recognized, of course. But I felt that probably few naval officers had suffered an education like mine. And in any case, I so broke up the words and so mispronounced them that probably they would have escaped notice even of the best scholar. 
Naval officers not knowing Latin. Uh-huh. Does he not know anything about British naval officers? Like he's like the poor's don't know these yeah, things. Like I got, yeah. I'm with him on like maybe your average <laughs> sailor doesn't know Latin, but a British naval officer I, in 1910. Yeah, I'm betting down that. So one. Buxton, as wow. the prince, he would repeat some of the words that he heard Adrian use in his responses back to him, and like a couple of the officers apparently remarked on the quote oddness of their lingo. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. So, and there was, there was an officer on the ship who spoke Abyssinian. Oh my God, I love but it. But <laughs> he was away on leave. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> also, this is all pre-Vatican too. So every Catholic pretty much knows a lot of Latin. I don't think there are a whole lot of Catholics on that front. Good, good point. Okay, I take so, that back. <laughs> Virginia, she's worried that her voice is going to sound too feminine. So she just grunts and oh, laughs. Oh, she's pretending to be a man. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, she's one of the princes. Right, right. So she's just grunting and laughing. Ho, ho, ho. Then she says later... She admitted, quote, it is very difficult, I found, to look perfectly blank when you hear English spoken and then to show great interest and intelligence when you hear pure gibberish. Oh, wow. I know. I'm sorry. Just I keep saying, oh, wow. I know. But I really cannot say other without cussing. So well, just, oh, this is wow. me. This is me researching this, reading that book and going, oh, wow. Closing the book and taking a deep <laughs> breath and then opening it back up and being like, do I really want to get mad again? Um, so at one point. They're up on a mast, like admiring what they're calling the new wireless equipment, like radios. Duncan's mustache starts to lift in the wind. (laughs) So Virginia sees this. She motions to her brother, Adrian, and and he says something to Duncan in, quote, Abyssinian, Mm -hmm. um, and then takes him over to a dark corner to fix it. How does one say in Abyssinian you're giving free mustache rides away? (laughs) How do, how do you, I don't know. We're going to have to in ask. In gibberish, I want to know. <laughs> I have a good friend who's Ethiopian. I'll ask her. <laughs> um, so uh, Adrian later wrote, quote, I did what I could with an umbrella, but there were five people to cover. And then I saw the obvious solution. I spoke to the captain of the heat of the Abyssinian climate and the chill of England. And he saw my point at once and took us below. For a moment or two, I had to separate Duncan from the rest and dab hastily at his upper lip. But I was able to be quick enough to escape notice. Okay. So they're just, they think they're so clever That's about this I whole thing. That's what I love all this. They're, like, they're getting one over like, on all oh, the pores and at, the little look people. Look at me, I'm a stinker. <laughs> uh, so Adrian, like, he then later goes on, pedantically speaking, I must admit myself capable of deception when I took part in the hoax. But I, I must. But once the telegram had been sent off and we arrived and had been received, it would not have been an easy matter to tell the truth. And we almost, I think, believed in the hoax ourselves. What? He's like, guys, I'm Abyssinian now. It's I've, in my I've got the black on me. And now, <laughs> now it's that's it. I mean, this just may be my future. Yeah, it is. So the tour wraps up and then um, they like they, they, you know, bid their farewells. Assalamualaikum, I guess they said. <laughs> and so they go back to the station. Horace uh as uh, as they're going to the station, the guy that's accompanying them, Horace tries to give him uh, the Order of the Star of Ethiopia, which is like a, uh-huh. a brooch that had been hanging around Buxton's neck. Okay. Where'd they get it? Where did this treasure come from? I'm assuming from an Army-Navy store. They got it off a of guy Ridley's mother's hat. <laughs> and the officer's like, no, you know what? I That's okay. He didn't take it. He's like, that's good. I'm good. I don't need that. I don't need the brooch, but yeah. thanks. And then I'm wondering, is he on to them? He's like, oh He God. has to be. Yeah. So then on the train back, Anthony Buxton, he sneezes and half his mustache flies off. 
But it, luckily, no one from the Navy is with them. So their hoax is done. Their hoax is done. They have fooled the Navy. Yeah, and the, they're ha, all ha, starving, ha, right? Ha, ha, ha. Ha, 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 look at me. Ha, ha, ha. What a lark. Floated away. I, what's the point? Yeah, okay. I don't get it. So they're, they're all starving, right? Because uh-huh. they haven't eaten all day. Of course. But Horace, he delays the meal and the train. Because of sunset? Because he, wants- <laughs> he demands that the waiters serve them wearing white gloves. And they didn't have any. And they had to go out and purchase white gloves before the train left so that they could have proper service the, for these jerks. Wow. So wait. And there went, you are trying went. to get back to your clinic <laughs> on the return trip. Yes. And you're delayed while they go out and buy white gloves. My patients, my patients. Yeah. <sighs> and I don't mean the ones in my hospital. <laughs> so they decided, the group was like, you know what, you guys, this went so well. And the officers were so nice to us. We don't want to embarrass them. So let's not tell the press. Don't tell anybody. What? <laughs> Their whole point is, oh, my God. Okay, whatever. You, yeah, you know what? Fine. Rich kids just like, hey, we had fun. It was a lark. Wasn't that a great afternoon, guys? Like, I don't. You don't understand that for this last week when I've been reading up on these things, I've been clenching my fists so tightly. <laughs> You've got like my nail marks in your clenched. hand. Yeah. When we I'm... come back, <laughs> we ah. need to take a deep breath. Let's stretch. Ah. Arms up, down, okay. stretch. Let's get some I think I pulled a muscle in my head. When we come back, I'm going to tell you how that all worked out about keeping it a big secret. Spoiler alert, it did not work out. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They 
burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Zarin, did you get good... Breathing in. Good. No. 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 Okay, this only, this story reminds me of those kids recently who threw paint on the, the Van Gogh painting mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. museum, and it was to protest climate change and to say, like, look, if you ruin these nice things and you care more about that than the whole planet being ruined, and, girl, you know I am a big, like, I want us to do something about what we've done with the climate and to be smart about this. I'm supporting yeah, them and as we're, much we are at a point of emergency. one can. I am right. totally on side of their argument. But... I do not see how throwing paint on a Van Gogh painting who I, one of the poorest, one of the little people enjoys <laughs> in the common sphere that we share, how that is making me or anybody else go, you know what, you're right, we yeah. should save the planet. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you're a rich kid and you want to be doing direct in- activism or get involved in some sending some message, I don't know, maybe try doing it from a material standpoint sense, like use money or time as opposed to, look, it's my theatrics. But they didn't even, these these guys, the dreadnought hooks, they didn't, they weren't even trying to make a point. They weren't I saying know, like... No, they're, they're even worse. They weren't saying like, all this money spent on this warship is, yeah. it should be set, spent on, you know, education the public or, good or yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. feeding the babies. I don't know. Sure. Something. Something that has life affirming. It's the ain't I a stinker. Like, oh, I know. The whole break, I was just over here fuming. <laughs> and maybe I get a little bit irritated because I come from a Navy family. And I'm just oh, like, yeah. this is taking up a lot of time and resources. Mm-hmm. And don't clown them. Come on. 
I don't know. It's just an, a full unawareness of what you're dealing with. I mean, it's like, look, yeah. if you're going to, okay, whatever. So they're okay. hoax. How did they So play when we out? left off, these fancy lads, they'd like pulled off their hoax, prancing around the, the, the ship. Rode home on the train in blackface. Wearing blackface, speaking the gibberish. With their mustaches flapping around. They they made the promise, don't breathe a word. Yes. So that night, embarrass anyone. that night, Horace tells his friends. <laughs> <laughs> I love Horace. He's my favorite yeah, part of the story. He tells some of his friends. Some of them turned around and told the foreign office. Good on him. And then Horace had to confess. It's the only time you hear me like root for snitches. It is worth noting that at the time of this hoax, mm-hmm. his sister, Horace's sister, Anne Cole, was engaged to her future husband. Who was a naval officer? Tory leader and future British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you? What? <laughs> Ain't I a stinker? Oh. Um, so February 12th. <laughs> The story comes out on the first page of The Express. The headline was, uh, Amazing Naval Hoax, Sham Abyssinian Princes Visit the Dreadnought. And then The Globe came out with the same story the, the, the same day. Uh-huh. So either The Express or The Globe or both reported, it's really hard to find these particular papers at that time. Okay, I, I was imagine. all over newspapers.com. Great, great resource for this, but Always? not these specific ones. This is from that that book. Um they reported that the group would say bunga bunga as they were admiring different parts of the ship. Wait, meaning, like Berlusconi? I'm getting there. Uh-huh. Meaning, apparently, isn't it lovely? Like, oh, bunga bunga. That was their, like, made-up term? When they'd see something that they liked. They, they just look cool. Like, yeah. ooh, shiny bunga bunga. And so then the real emperor of Abyssinia uh-huh. comes to London a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. And it's reported that street boys ran after him yelling, bunga bunga. Oh, okay. no. Okay. Then the boys oh, also, no. all these, like, kids would go and, like, yell this at the ship's officers when they were in Weymouth. Uh-huh. And then towards the end of World War I, uh-huh. the dreadnought, <laughs> he looks so scared, the dreadnought sunk a German submarine. Okay. Really stuck it to the jerry. <laughs> uh, the ship got a congratulatory telegram that just read, Bunga Bunga. <laughs> And then there was a song that came out of it that was oh sung God. in a music hall nearby uh-huh. that went, When I went on board a dreadnought ship, uh-huh. though I looked just like a costermonger, they said I was an Abyssinian prince because I shouted bunga bunga. What's, Co- a, what's a costermonger? Like a, a, a produce dealer on the street with ah, a cart. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Never heard that one. Yeah, so... They're saying, like, the layers on this. There's so much. So many. So they're like, I looked like a costermonger, but they said, I said I was an Abyssinian prince. So bunga it's bunga. like, okay, so our conception of what the Abyssinians look like is like a street vendor. Like, okay, I got to step back on that one. I just keep thinking of Rizza and Jizza saying, saying bong bong all the time. And I'm like, please tell know? me there is no connection to know? bunga bunga with this. Well, it's, you mentioned Berlusconi, right? Uh-huh. Former Italian prime yeah, minister. Silvio. It's Probably because of this association with the, quote, exotic and, quote, racist. And the and that <laughs> Abyssinia, later Ethiopia, was a colony of Egypt, so they could have likely heard the story from... That that's why Berlusconi called his sex parties bunga bunga parties. Oh, my God, I'm not. <laughs> so we have Virginia Woolf to thank for bunga bunga so parties. there's a direct line between Virginia Woolf and blackface and Silvio Berlusconi's naked bunga bunga party. I put the re- put the red piece of, of <laughs> string yeah, on uh-huh. your on your uh, bulletin board. I'm there. over here like Charlie Day losing my head. <laughs> 
February 16th, the Daily Mirror puts a photo of the group in its front page story called How the Officers of HMS Dreadnought Were Hoaxed, Photographs of the Abyssinian Princes Who Made All England Laugh. You see, this is what it was. I didn't understand the British culture enough because they're like, oh, we all love this. I'm like, where's the hoax? They're like, this is delightful. <laughs> oh, they love it. Well, and the thing is, when they when the um, Daily Mirror ran the pictures, they first ran it on February 14th. Mm-hmm. And the photos that they used were actually from Horace and Adrian's Zanzibar hoax. They just use, They're just like blackface. Whatever. We, we got some photos we got hoaxes here. Of- so, yeah, two days later, they had to rerun it with the correct picture. Fi- Oopsies. Um, <laughs> okay. Now, yeah, whatever. They, Horace gave the pictures to the paper. Naturally. They weren't. You know, it was that portrait. Yeah, Horace like does the not studio care. Portrait. Horace wants to ride any wave he can, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Who's most mad about this? Um, see, who's besides me? <laughs> um, back then, who was most mad about it? Jeez, I, I'm hoping some Abyssinians got a little well, heated. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. No one, no one consulted them. Uh, Admiral May. Oh, yeah, there we go. And, like, others in the Navy just wanted to let it go. I hope no. you, like, shelled Bloomsbury, oh, no? <laughs> he was, he, he just would not let up. He wanted them punished. <laughs> but then it was determined that the only crime committed was sending that forged telegraph. Oh, yeah, technically. That's, that is our ridiculous crime here in A terms of telegraph. actual criminality. <laughs> From the British. Crime against culture and taste. Yes. We could make a whole other podcast about <laughs> various crimes against culture and taste. But in this case, uh, it all winds up being just uh, just a forged telegram. So um, it did, though, this whole thing makes its way to Parliament. Of course. And it resulted in, quote, a tightening of regulations for ceremonial parties. Did it help get Neville Chamberlain elected? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and then, so like, after a month of this, May is like, all right, Admiral May is like, okay, uh, fine. Um, it's not going to help if we punish the forger, Mr. Tudor Castle, <laughs> which again, like, come on. Um, we're not going to get anything out of that. And it's only going to draw attention to how we bungled this. Uh-huh. If we really keep up. So Admiral May's like, fine, whatever. But there's one more person who's still mad. Who? Cousin Willie. Oh, Cousin Willie. <laughs> Cousin Willie, he, a couple weeks later, he shows up at Virginia and Adrian's house and just, just screaming at Adrian. Get laying him. into him. Get him, son. But because of archaic British naval custom, uh-huh. uh, he and because he had to like throw a lime well, at him. Well, no, because Adrian's aunt was Willie's mother. Willie himself could not physically punish Adrian. Wait, what? Like as a direct family line, so he can't physically punish him. Why not? I don't know. And I find that very hard to believe based on the British Navy's love of punishing Punishment. people. Yeah, they're like, hey, spread this around. No, so instead he just yells, right? But then Adrian <laughs> gives up the addresses of the other hoaxers. That's kind of what he really wants. He's uh-huh. like, if I can't beat you, I'm going to go beat I'm all your beat friends. Somebody, I'm going to beat somebody. Someone's getting these. so bad they're not going to like you anymore. <laughs> so oh, um, Fisher, like Cousin Willie, some of his Navy friends, they go to Duncan's house. He Duncan's sitting there having breakfast with his parents. <laughs> you I know? hope he beats like them black and egg. blue in front of his parents. Like, here's some black well, no, boy. They mother- lure him out. Mm-hmm. And they take him in a car and they drive him off. Uh-huh. They take him to a remote area where they plan to beat him up. Good. <laughs> However, they saw that he was terrified and not fighting back. He's basically just like whimpering and peeing a little bit. <laughs> and so they're like, you know what? Instead of beating him, we're going to give him two ceremonial taps with a cane. Wait, they're going to wrap him on the knuckles? They're just tap, tap. That is enough to avenge the Royal Navy, apparently. The honor. Avenge the honor. So more symbolism. 
Yeah, so then Willie and then another naval officer, they found Horace. Uh That's the gold mine right there. Horace is sick in bed. They don't care. <laughs> oh, damn. They go into his house. Boom. All he did was the, the makeup, right? No, Horace was the ringleader. Oh, right, 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 Horace right, right. is the ringleader. So they break in. They're like, guess what? We need to avenge the honor of Admiral May. Admiral May has no idea they're there. Yeah, well, that doesn't matter. Yeah. So Horace later tells the Daily Mirror, quote, this, I want you to take a deep breath first. Get ready. <laughs> Finally, I said jokingly that if the principal officer would allow me to inflict on him six strokes with a cane, I would receive a corresponding number from him. To my astonishment, he was so serious that he readily accepted the offer. We then retired to a neighboring muse, and there we found a rubbish box, which served as a sort of triangle. And here I gave the naval officer six strokes with the cane, not very hard ones, as I treated the matter as a joke and did not want to hurt. Then I, in turn, received six strokes from the officer, who, with his colleague, was very serious the whole time. (laughs) Then we all shook hands, and the naval officers left, apparently satisfied for they said they did not intend to cane other members of the hoaxing party. I, I, I don't even... So he's like, look, you want to beat whole, me like, up? Hey, let me beat you. Let me cane you first. Even Stevens. And the dude's like, bet. He's like, that sounds totally fair to me. Uh-huh. And they go out in the woods together uh-huh. and bend him over something. Back, back, back. Okay, now I'll bend good, over. Back, back, back. My turn. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And then they shake hands. I will never understand British culture. No! I'm sorry. Uh, And with that, the whole thing concludes. I'm just so glad that you did not draw. I was so worried that there was going to be a direct line between Virginia Woolf and blackface and the election of Prime (laughs) Minister Neville Chamberlain, which leads to the appeasement of Hitler. So basically, Hitler could come to power because Virginia Woolf was in blackface. I was really worried that you were going to draw that line. I I may. I still may do it. world events, I just can't deal with. Don't, you know, don't give me too much time to ruminate on this because we might. (laughs) You can find the facts in here. Yeah. So that. Yeah. What's your takeaway, dude? I, I don't. I keep it. That's <laughs> my my takeaway is I don't want any. You know, you keep it all. I just keep thinking about what would have happened if it was just regular work, working class young people who did this. They would have been destroyed. <sighs> Their lives would have been ruined. They they would have had to pay severe consequences because people would have wanted to punish mm-hmm. them. They mm-hmm. would have not have had the money and therefore the social esteem to ignore, to have their crimes be ignored. Yeah. And that's the thing, among many other things, that is <laughs> insane to me is that the the damage that can be done just because you were lucky that your parents were wealthy. Yeah. It's like, I'm yeah. like, can't you have a little perspective on this one that like, you did nothing. This is, you just got lucky. Like, that was it. Like, there are a lot of people who I've known who are wealthy and they would actually say this to me. It's like, look, I get that. I yeah. just got lucky. And I was like, so cool with that because it's like, you're acknowledging your human moment. Mm-hmm. These people are like, no, no. I mean, yes, the British Royal, the, the, the British Navy, like, oh, we're going to ignore this actual sunset and we're going to wait for the whistle. That level of ignoring reality, I find humorous. <laughs> the rich kids level of ignoring reality is just patently offensive because the damage they do. I mean, look, yeah. at, look at all this. I mean, this is one little, let's go down to the boat and like, literally British history and Silvio Berlusconi are all <laughs> affected by this. (laughs) I just... (sighs) Exactly. (laughs) (sighs) I keep thinking about how um, 
there wasn't a point to what they None. did. I'm all for funning. I'm all sure. for being silly. I, like I mean, you know, I take absolutely nothing seriously. Totally. And I like I, I like messing with people, my yeah. friends in particular. Yeah. Especially British Navy. But <laughs> I, I just, it. that's a, I, the whole thing is so self-congratulatory and not really funny. It's and like not yes, a funny prank. It's not it's funny. It's stupid. And if someone <laughs> would, would, were to witness it, it's not like, oh, look, you got over on them. I mean, maybe this is like that embarrassment humor I don't get. Like, I didn't watch The Office. I don't know mm. why this is funny. I look at it. Remember how I, I told you once about how I want to go to like a presentation and say boring uh-huh. in the crowd? Yeah. Well, like I would love to be there and just have them like, oh, we're so cool and just be all lame. <laughs> it was lame, dude. It wasn't it was hardcore lame. Yeah. So anyway, that's my takeaway. Yeah. I'm sorry I've it. done that to you and everybody. Um, you can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm going to put the photos up. Mostly of the Bigfoot board game. It may just be a picture of the Bigfoot Bigfoot board game. You can email also crazy cat lady. I got that one for you. Okay, too. cool. I'll just go take a picture of it in the closet. Um, <laughs> you can email us if you want to at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. Otherwise, uh, tune in next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Dave Kustin, the Natty Dreadnought. Research is by the Bloomsbury Group Director, Marissa Brown. The theme song is by facial hair engineer Thomas Lee and wig technician Travis Dutton. Executive producers are Admiral Ben Bolin and cabinet member Noel Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, 
Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to a Cross Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.